Hello, and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. This is my little music business podcast where I chat to a whole host of different people across the breadth of the UK music business, currently the UK music business. I'm hoping to talk to a few people beyond the UK music business in the weeks and months to come, so check back for that. This week's episode is all about live music, it's all about booking agencies, and it's with an old friend of mine, Ryan Penty. Uh, Myself and Ryan both went to the same university, University of Hertfordshire, and Ryan has been at Paradigm Agency, once was Coda Agency, for the past eight years. It was a really great catch-up with Ryan, and we talked about his journey through Paradigm Agency, from an intern when he first joined, all the way through to becoming booking agent earlier this year. He talks about the ins and outs, the day-to-day of booking agency life, about his views and opinions on music, about the mainstream versus the the niche areas of the industry and he's really candid really honest about what he sees the where he sees the opportunities i have to say a brief apology for the sound quality especially my side of things a uh, bit of an issue with the recorder so i'm a little bit on the echoey side but ryan is not and his insights are definitely what you, you've come here to listen to. I won't make that mistake again. And it was a great chat with Ryan. Really appreciate him giving me the time. So I'll shut up, like always. You don't want to hear me rabbiting on. And here and now is my conversation with Ryan Penty of Paradigm Agency. internship with Sam Tawari mm-hmm. and he we were at the Great Escape and it would have been 2011 and he said uh, I've just finished my internship they've given me a job do you know anybody that wants my internship and I said where is it and he said it's Coda Agency and I was like don't know what that is don't know what an agent is let's do it but I'll have a bag on. I'll have it I'll have yeah, a bag. yeah and that was eight years ago now yeah you've still, been here a while still winging it yeah um, how many other people in there are winging it oh everybody <laughs> Not even just in this room, in every agency in the in the whole of the country. You reckon? Yeah, the only the only people that have got an easier ride than us is the publishers. But don't tell anyone. How? How is that? <laughs> you do less work than we do. <laughs> no, I mean everybody's got this idea that the agents kind of don't really do anything. But I think it's I'm not. That's opposite. not the case. No, well, I, just, think, you know, I think there's an element of agents are much, or there's certain places in the industry that. Are a little bit more chat wheeler dealery than others, but I don't think that's I think that's any one area in particular. I just think it's in every yeah. single bit of the industry there is still that. I feel like if you if you're good at chatting, if you're good at meeting people, if you're good at being sociable, yeah. then you can go to the very top. 
whether that's publishing, whether that's records, whether that's being a manager, whether that's being an agent. Yeah, I'd like to think that's one of my strengths is being able to chat and chat when I'm drunk. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, um, oh, you, like, you weren't that drunk last night. I'm, like, in my head, I'm completely <laughs> out of it. But, you know, I've got some, I don't know, special power that I can just hold it together when I'm drunk. You know, like, the rule number one is never talking about business, but when you're with everybody. Is that really a rule? 100%, yeah, it should be. It should be. Never, never talk about business when you're drunk because you never know what you're going to say and you'll never remember what you said. Yes. But, I mean, I, I tend not to talk about it, but when you're talking to people that you work with, it's still business, but you just you just have to not... You know, I, I say this to people as well, like, you can't get away with being a maverick these days. Do you reckon the acts are different as well? Do they, do they carry themselves differently? I think the business has do changed. See, do you see that? Because you've obviously... Paradigm has got a fairly hefty roster. Yeah. And you've got some pretty big guns... There's a, there's, a, got some there's a hell of a lot more money in the business these days, so you have to you have to take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's earning a lot more, and I think everybody now has to run their career as a proper business. And if anybody in the team is fucking around or getting drunk or too, you know, obviously there's allowances, and sometimes it's like great, like they're a right laugh, but you know you have to take it seriously. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people's livelihoods involved. Mm-hmm. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of money at stake, and if you if you mess it up for someone, then you're costing their money, and then you you know it's a lot more ruthless than it used to be. But we're also have you have you seen that like the acts know more than they did? Oh yeah, hundred like, percent. They're more like they're more yeah. aware. You can't pull a fast one over definitely over new bands and things. Yeah, now that now not, not that you're trying to do that, right? No, of course not. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, no, I just think that everyone's a lot more switched on now. You know, ever since the days of, you know, like when I first started out, I remember Enter Shikari putting up a, you know, badly mixed demo on MySpace of Sorry You're Not Winner. And, you know, if you did that now, you probably wouldn't get away with it. Everyone would be like, what the hell is this shite? It's, it's awful. So, you know, there's, there's an awareness of how to do things. Everything's perfect. And, you know, you have to build a brand straight away because people... As soon as you come out, people see who you are and what you are and what you look like. Whereas mm-hmm. before, in the past, you you know you, you didn't have to do that so much because people wouldn't really see who you were until you had a piece of enemy or saw you live or something. So you had a lot of a lot more time to project your project yourself. Whereas now it has to be constant, doesn't it? Like anything, anything you put out in the world is for everyone to see. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can see it. You're not called Coder anymore. We're not. Coder is dead. Yeah. Long how much? Paradigm. How much? How much of an impact of an effect is that going to have? Is, is it going to have none at all? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, only positives in terms of we're now a global company, so we can. Not that we weren't before. Although obviously we're in partnership, but everything's a lot more synchronized now. Um, the whole back end system in a couple of, well, probably I'd say a year and a bit, is going to be synchronised fully, so we're all going to be working from the same thing. But we can see it now, say like I share an act with any of the American agents here, like Donna Missile, for example, is one that we share across the roster, and I can see what they're booking, they can see what I'm booking. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is click a button and all of the US dates are in. So there's no crossover. We get on the phone and present a global like global plan to managers, and when you're going for a new act, you present a global pitch to managers, and it's just... The only change is it's a lot more cohesive than it was before. Right. Nothing else has changed apart from the, the name, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, 
yeah, for the for the better, I think. Especially in my world, where it's like, you know, straight down the line pop stuff and the bigger commercial stuff. If you if you're if you're going for an act as a as a unit as like a, you know, come to paradigm rather than, I'm right and I want to be your agent. Yeah. It's, there's a lot more strength in numbers. Like you've got everyone else's roster to lean on. You've got everyone else's expertise. Everyone's contacts. So, are you you're in that world where you're kind of coming at, at it as a team? Yeah, hundred percent. And then yeah. you'll do certain bits for them, but not everything. Yeah, in terms of me. Yeah. Yeah. So I like you know, if, for example, there's a new act that we haven't signed yet that we're pitching for, and there's two agents going for it. It's Canadian representation, two that are gonna do uh, America and the rest of the world, and we're looking at doing Europe and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So we all put that together as a global plan and you know, say what the strategy would be in each market and send that over to the US agents and they pitch it as one to the manager because it's a US based act. Okay. So it's, it's just like, it's just a more thought through, um, just cohesive process really. And, and as a, and a company of this size now, are you only really looking at certain types of artists at certain levels? No. Now or are you? Is it just anything that anything. floats your boat? Anything that you think is worth getting on board? Yeah, so get on board with it. Does that change the types of deal? No, no. There's there's one deal for everybody, I think. Okay. Um, and it, you know, in terms of what we take on, like I took on a guy called Keir Gibson, who's brilliant. Who I never listened to them ever, but for some reason I did. And his manager just sent me the tracks and was like, "Can you ever listen to these?" And I for some I don't know why I did it, but. I'm glad I did. Um, I took him on, didn't have anything online, didn't have any presence anywhere on social media. And then flip side, Alex has just taken on Janet Jackson. So it's like anyone from any spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if we think it's good enough, we'll do it. It's not about it's not about making a quick buck, it's not about the cash. It's about the cash, obviously. But um bills to pay that. Yeah, of course. And you know, you know, we're a big company now, we're not corporate, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of money involved in all of the processes which is you know we've, we've built up from sort of 10-15 years ago when I think the biggest act on our roster was, was Mika by a clear mile mm-hmm. um, and you know now you've got stuff like Imagine Dragons and Sia and Janet Jackson as I say and like, you know global superstars and Shawn Mendes that we've built up from zero to multiple arenas everywhere across the world so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no there's no there's no real criteria just you know we're, we're Paradigm's always very much been um, about career development and believing in the act and long-term strategy rather than smash and grab. But then also you look at stuff like Baby Shark for a quick buck as well. So. <laughs> but do you um, do you have like annual targets? Yeah. And things like that. So yeah, you know, yeah. like this year we need to sign X number of people. Not in terms of or not in terms of bands. In terms of figures, I would say you set yourself right. a target for for the commission you bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think you need more acts to do that, you do that. If you think you need less to concentrate on your bigger ones, get rid of a few. Okay, so it's actually it's on an annual by an yeah. year basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, right, actually, this year we can't do certain things it, that we did last year. It just so depends whether, it depends who's in cycle, really. Say you've got an act, like a roster of 50 acts, uh-huh. you know, maybe 10 of them, 15 of them, 20 of them are going to be in cycle that year, and you know, you know how busy you're going to be. Or you, you might have like, your top five earning acts will all be out that year and you go, okay, well, I haven't really got time to, to properly 
break a new act this year like you know I'll, I'll still try if something brilliant comes along I'll do it and I'll pick it up but mm-hmm. you just know you're going to be way busier that year and you go oh well maybe I'll take on a couple that I'll develop slowly this year and then crack on next year so it's all about forward planning like everything in this job is forward planning like everything for sort of the next you just have to look ahead to the next two years and you kind of say what, yeah. are, what like this is my artist what are my goals for this artist for the next two years and how do I get there that's okay. literally our job is like vision and strategy. How has your specific role changed? I've done everything. Developed? I've done you everything. said you came in as an intern? I'm an absolute pure blood. <laughs> so I came, as an, I came in as an intern. So you've gone all the way from making the tea and passing around the, the mail. I worked in accounts for four days. Okay, nice. And I worked on reception, and then I did two weeks maternity cover, and they realised I wasn't an idiot, so they, they, they let me stay for a bit. So I spent three months, um, so basically our system, we've got like a um, custom-built system to enter all of our show information and stuff, which lives on the cloud, and it used to be in Excel spreadsheets, so I spent three months getting paid 50 quid a week to input all of that data into this new system which is boring as fuck, but you know, it gave me a real advantage when none of the agents knew how to use the system and I would just go and show them how to do it. So I got to meet everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I got an assistant job with um, Michael Lawrence, who did um, all of the Grime stuff before Grime was Grime. So he did Skepta when Skepta was a pop act, which mm-hmm. had hidden all of his stuff now, which is great. Um, stuff like Squ- uh, Sway and Screw Fizzer, um, most of BBK except for JME for some reason. So it was a kind of, you know, as a, as a white guy from Norfolk who is possibly one of the whitest of white people you'll ever meet, you know, to... to I'll give you a run from... Yeah, to, to, be, to be, you know, working with these grime acts that, um, you know, I was never really exposed to any of that music when I was younger. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just, you just kind of thrown in at the deep end, but, you know, you just, you're there to do a job and, you know, I didn't mind some of the music, some of it was pretty good, but... You know, it's not a world that I knew anything about. And if anybody would ask me a question on the phone, like we had a few dubstep DJs and they were like, oh, you know, what do you think about so-and-so back-to-back with so-and-so? And I'm like, mate, I've got fucking no idea. Like, I genuinely haven't got a clue, but I'll find out for you. And like, you know, you just, you make it work. And I think... So you, you mentioned that you were an assistant mm-hmm. in that space. So what is an agent's assistant from your perspective? Obviously, it would probably change depending on how yeah. big the company is and things like that, but what I mean, were your tasks the process you is a, The processes are the same, really. So we, it's, it's mainly contracting. Um, it's, you know, general organisation. You know, most of us work from tasks on Outlook, so it's like we basically set up a task for the emails in and as soon as the show is confirmed, then you pass it over to the assistant. So the second it's confirmed, the assistant will pick it up and deal with contracting, announcement, uh, artwork, you know, basically anything between then and announcement. And then if there's any problems afterwards, it depends what the problem is, who picks that up. Okay. So it's really like, it's basically admin work, but right. with pretty good perks when you get to the summer. So you were doing that in a world that you didn't really know a lot about. Yeah. Basically, but you about. were making sure that what you didn't know on a Monday you knew yeah. on a Tuesday. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think you just got to really show everybody that you're keen and kind of go that extra mile. And I think the I think the main thing that that, I, that kind of shone through when I was doing it was that Michael um, he wasn't very organised, 
and he had this two big acts, Skepta and Sway, and I, I made him a grid where he spent most of his time during the week on those big acts so he could earn more money. And I think that kind of impressed him and everybody, just you know, the way that my money head was kind of set on stuff as well. Because you know, it's a, it's a really creative industry. You know, people get very precious about music and stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, we're part of the music business, and we have to. We're we're the people that monetize music, like you know the the. The artists and the songwriters, everybody on the creative side, but you know we're the ones that pay the bills for them to carry on doing what they want to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you you know people may disagree, but you know putting it bluntly, that is yeah. what we're here for. That's kind of my that's always been my approach to it. Um, so I've, I mean, how yes. long were you here bef- before you got your own started getting your own roster? Really? So like so that. once so Michael decided to leave about. How many years has that been? Probably, I worked for him for about a year and a half, maybe. So luckily, you know, I, it was it was kind of a bit of a strange time because Michael left, um, and then I didn't really have a job here. But luckily, they wanted to keep me, which is good. I felt like I made enough friends and I made a decent impression about everything. So, um, Ollie Hodgson just had Jake Bug break. Mm-hmm. which is perfect timing for me because then they promoted him. He was working as Alex's booker, which is basically agent training uh, in, in a word. You, you kind of, you do all the jobs an agent does, but you have no risk of it being your act. So if you make any mistakes, it's the agent's fault, which is, you know, there's pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just like having a little safety net so you can learn. And obviously, so then, yeah, I started working with Alex, which was um, just incredible so I, I worked for him for like five and a half years and you know he's, he's a very eccentric man he's done done everything like works with some of the biggest acts in the world but I remember the first day that actually I think he, I think he tested me because I was really really ill like proper proper flu like at yeah. home the first so Michael just left and Alex called me up and I lived in North London and the office was in Shoreditch and he called me up and he was like He's like, Ryan, what are you doing? I was like, I'm not very well. Like, I'm really, really sick. Like, I can't come in today. And he's like, oh, look, I really want to go through this stuff with you for Monday because I want to go through your roster. And I was like, all right, fine. I was like, I'm really not well, but I'll, I'll brave it in. I'll like, pack myself with Beecham's and whatever. Yeah. So <clears throat> I travelled down to Shoreditch and um, I got into the office and I sat downstairs and I was like, okay, can you please hurry up because I need to go home. And he, get, he gets downstairs and he's like, all right, Ryan, um, yeah, um, oh, I'm a bit busy now. I'm going to go for a massage. Can we do this on Monday? And I, I'm sh- I think that was a test. I think it was a test. I don't know if he's he's just like that sometimes. But um, but yeah, so then Monday I came in, gave me this piece of paper, and he was like, right, these are, these are your acts. There was eight of them on there, I think. And he was like, these are your acts. Uh, this is your roster. Fennec Solo need to do a tour. Like, book it for me. And I was like, how do I do it? And he went, I don't know, go ask Ollie. So that was my training. Nice. But I mean, like, looking at the roster now, it's a fucking amazing roster. Like, they were all nothing, but it was, it was, um, it was on Alex's real signing hot streak, so I got some really good stuff. So Fennec Sober, the biggest band on there, and they were worth 250 tickets at birthdays, was what we did. There was London Grammar, there was Ella Rare, John Newman, Chloe Howell, uh, who else was there? Kimberly Ann, and a couple of others. And I was just like, I just remember going into the bathroom, at, like, I stood in the cu- toilet cubicle, and I was just like, like last week I didn't even have a job and now I've just been given my own eight app roster to like yeah. to, to book with Alex and I was like couldn't even believe my luck. I was just Was that daunting? No. No? Not really. Had you been here long enough? 
I mean, so to kind of go, it, it was now was my time to shine. No, it was more it was more exciting than daunting. I would say, like I'm I'm a very sort of slightly arrogant, mainly overconfident person, right. and I I've got like an ability in myself that I know I could do it. So I just it was more exciting than daunting, a little bit daunting, but it was more like since I'd been there a couple of years, I, I definitely knew this was what I wanted to do, and I'd seen people do it, and I knew I could. You know, I've always been into live music. Ever since I was younger, I used to like be obsessed with festival lineups and how they work and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. as soon as I got that opportunity, I was like, right, I'm gonna smash it. So yeah, it was good. You mentioned in the nicest possible way that there's an arrogance, there's a confidence yeah. to you. Do you see that as a character trait in a lot of the people that you work with here? Is it something that benefits an agent? No, uh, everyone has different approaches. Like Natasha Bennett is an incredible agent and she's like one of the least arrogant people I've ever met in my life. Right. Um, but I, the, the, the way I find it works for me is I like to be quite loud and quite cheeky and quite slightly overconfident and slightly arrogant. Like there's a time and a place to use it, mm-hmm. but that for me that's like something that's worked, and especially like I like to be I, I like to be confident in pitches, and I think that if you portray that confidence, even if you know whatever act you're selling to somebody, you have to have an air of confidence about you because you're you're basically selling them the act, and you have to want them to share that confidence in that act. And mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, somebody's booking this act because they think they're going to sell tickets, and if I can if I can portray to someone the confidence that they're going to sell tickets, then so yeah, I've just kind of adapted it to my daily life and, you know, my missus thinks I'm over arrogant sometimes, which is fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, she's, she's fine with it most of the time. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned pitching. Yeah. You've mentioned booking and things like that. Can you walk through what your day-to-day job I'll, I'll is? I'll through a booking. It's brilliant. There's a number of, number of ways that that you get bookings like you get one-off bookings and somebody will somebody will just email you out of the blue and it's normally like a what have you done before how much money have you got it's not enough no you can't so you're, and you're talking about promoters I mean these are situation your promoters are really you saying it, de- you it depends or? like a lot of the time one-off bookings are you know I'd say 90% of one-off inquiries that come in don't get booked in the end Right. Just but but if you're working with a, like a normal promoter, like a well, like not a normal promoter, but like a any major promoter that you would consider, like it's a different strategy. So whereas like one-off bookings come in normally when you're doing a tour, it would go out because I know when I want the period. So it'd be like Clean Bandits touring in November. Can you send me the avails, please? And then you contact all of your promoters that you work with historically, get them to send the avails in, route the tour, get the offers, send it to management, confirm it. Right, so for, so that's yeah, a so very still, very quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the, the logistical of right. I've got to fill a gap. Yeah. For an act because they've got a, an album coming out or whatever. Yeah. And so it's right. First and foremost, I need to find out when venues that I want to book them in are yeah. actually available. Basically, you get all just, of those dates in. And yeah. You look at all the free ones. It's in a grid. Kind of. Yeah. Go, that one and that, and so you work it from what's available yeah and like European tours can take 
a couple of weeks to route. So like you fly in Russia and then go through Poland and then through Germany and down through Switzerland and Italy. Unbelievably good. Like, I mean, my geography was pretty poor to begin with, but now my geography's pretty pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Not just capital cities and stuff. Like when I'm when I'm watching Pointless at home, it's you know, I'm, yeah, pretty pretty good, I'd say. What was one of the ones that you've done for for the next part of the year that's come up? You mentioned Clean Bandit. Yeah. Are you in a position? Has that been announced? No, that's just an example. They haven't, they haven't got one, but um, I mean, I've got like a, a Dennis Lloyd tour that's been announced next week. Basically, just um, you get you get your period. So so that one is from November to December. So you'll, you'll get all the um, avails from the promoter. So someone like Dennis has done a tour before, so he'll normally have a promoter that he's worked with on the last run. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a mul- multitude of reasons why you choose a different promoter, be it festivals they can give you or your friend. And this is a promoter for the entire tour? No, this is territory by territory. Right, okay. And it only really gets split up between cities in the UK, for some reason. Don't know why. All right. Um, so... You so we'll have we'll have like Russia, Poland, Germany. There's like I think it's ten countries in it. Um, so you do multiple dates in Germany because it's quite big there and it's a big country. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, what I do is I start with the UK, figure out what I want to do in London, get the available dates because that's normally the busiest one. And you know you want to sort of plan your route backwards off of that. So you either want to if you're doing a full European tour, you start in London or start in Moscow basically and go the other way mm-hmm. or however far it is with it whether it be Poland or Germany you or don't, whatever like if they're a British band you don't start in England go out and then kind of come back it depends right. yeah it depends where they are so sometimes is that sort of, you mentioned strategy earlier yeah is that kind of does that come from you so you, yeah. you've obviously got an artist manager or a label kind of going yeah. right this is what we're doing at our end yeah we want you to do this or, yeah, do, you, so what, or do you then go well I've taken on board what you said and I think we definitely. should do it this way it's a bit of both it's, it's, it's everyone pulling together to find the best thing that works for them so say it's a, it's a band based in London you can start in London go down the bottom go up around Europe the top of Europe and then Scandinavia and then come back in mm-hmm. that's fine if you, but if it's, if it's a US band you'll fly in one side fly out the other side you basically just do it as because you know there's there's always an ideal route that you can do that will be the most time saving and the most money saving but the the avails aren't always that kind so you just have to you have to kind of make the make the best of it really um, is there an element of kind of when you're waiting for the avails to just have all fingers and toes crossed yeah because yeah because when, <laughs> when they when they come in like you'll 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 get them in and then you'll look at your grid and you'll go yes that's available and like some people will actually vocally shout it like I've heard Joanna who sits over there she'll stand up and go yes and I'll be like what's, what's happened Joanna you got a good offer in or something and she's like no the 13th is available in Milan and it's like <laughs> wicked <laughs> um, nice. or, or it will not be available or, you, or the worst one to get in is you, you get the avails in the venue and it's just like X the whole way down it's right. like not available at any time you're like okay I'll have to rethink this um, so yeah, it's just a lot of going backwards and forwards for a while and then you know you'll you'll spend a couple of weeks on it and you'll get it perfect in your head and you'll send it over and then the manager will go, I've got to tell you this, uh, whatever, like some thing that means you have to move it and you have to move it like maybe a week either side. They go, oh, you know, we've got a promo coming at the start of that so we have to shift the whole thing down a week and it's like, mm-hmm. it's not that easy but 
I'll move a few bits around and we'll make it work. How far in advance are you working at any given time? Yeah, it really depends. As far as possible. Um, I mean, we've got a Lewis Capaldi European tour that's going up next week again, start of September. Uh, that's for February 2020, and I booked that before summer. So, okay, so I, I knew it was going to roughly gonna... a year in advance. Yeah, so I knew it was nothing gonna... beyond that. Yeah, yeah, well, you okay. can. It's just, it's just the further in, in advance you do it, the 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 less accurate the stuff that you're pinning it around is. Yeah. So like that, the record label might say that album's out in Q1 next year when you full well know it's going to be Q4. And how late have you done it, a day before kind of job? Nah, you just <laughs> couldn't sell it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you could do, if it was a tiny one-off show, you could do it, but, you know, if you're working, especially now at the moment, there's so many gigs in London, if you're working sort of a month or two months out, you're not going to get the venues that you want. You just won't. Yeah. You'll have to compromise on everything and you won't have time to sell it and it'll be pointless. Like, is, is just the live market, is it a bit bonkers at the moment because of just how much emphasis get put, gets put on it from every angle of the industry? Do you find that, yeah. that things aren't available when they want to? Oh, definitely. Maybe, if, you, so. if you get a good venue like and Amira. And venues are disappearing. Yeah, a venue like Amira that's perfect, perfect location, perfect size for everybody. You know, you can't get a avail there for, you know, probably start next year is, you know, everything's gone. Well, especially all the good days because, you know, we don't do anything on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday because the press won't come down. Monday's a bit shit. So you really want to go Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday is your ideal. Mm-hmm. That in choice order. Okay. I'm not mental. I don't know the days of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Thursday is the best day. Like, ideally, if you get, if you get avails and for some miracle that they're all available, you pick the best Thursday in the month, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, you consider payday, you consider half term, you know, it's just, it's all strategy. Like, you know, you don't even think about it. It's like second nature normally. You just, once you've been doing it for a few years, you just kind of get the avails and you know, you've done so many shows that you just know what's worked, you know what hasn't worked, for what reasons, you know, you know not to announce over the summer or if you can help it because, you know, people are in festival mode, they're not thinking about, say you put, say you put a show for December on in July, who mm-hmm. the fuck's going to be sat out in the sun at a festival drinking a pint going, oh, I can't wait till December. Like, I've got a really cold night out watching so-and-so. Do you reckon? I think, yeah. I think there's an element of... Definitely, 100%. As if you said to somebody, would you rather go and spend 20 quid on a ticket or 20 quid on four pints? Four pints in the sun every single okay. day of the week. Interesting. 100%. That's why, we, that's why it always just... It's a complete dead zone for tickets in the sun. And so those tickets for December won't be going out until September, October. Yeah, so like my Dennis Lloyd tour, for example, it's been booked for a couple of weeks and uh, just over a month. And, you know, we just held off until the first week of September because it's after August payday. People start buying tickets again in September. All the festivals are finished, you know, because people like, you know, if you put if you put tickets on sale middle of August, if you go to Reading, you know, you go, oh, fuck, I can't afford to buy the 20 quid ticket because I want to save my money to go to Reading. You know, it's just, um, you know, you just have to think about the bigger picture, like with everything you do, basically. How much A&R stuff do you do? How much going out to shows? I'm going to a show tonight. Nice. Which is great. Because um, there's, there's that kind of thing of when you get to a certain point, 
Yeah. You stop doing that because it's a young man's game. But you're well, still a young man, I like to think. Uh, yeah, I'm 29. Exactly. You've still got a two at the beginning of yeah. your age. Not by the time this goes out. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, you just do it in different ways, really. Um, I mean, I quite like finding new stuff, but, you know, everyone's got a different way of AI and things. Some people like going out, some people like being in the mixer. Some I mean, people do like you it. have scouts? Do you have a few people that you contact who you I've know? I've got people I trust. Yeah. I've got people who I trust the opinions of. Um, but really, for me, it's, it's a gut feeling thing. And also, for, for my... From my experiences and my sort of approach to it all, I'm not one of these people who, if I listen to the music and I fucking love it, I'll do it because I love it. It's because there's a combination of great songs. Because you never know, you could have someone that's got a bunch of average songs and then two weeks later, where you said no, they get an incredible hit. But if there's a team around them that I trust and believe in and have done stuff before that's great, and I know that they'll like really go the extra mile to break this act mm. that's when I'll get involved when okay. it's like the, the couple it's not like you know it's not like people go oh, you know I have, to, I have to love all the things on my roster because I don't I don't love all the music on my roster like you know if you were doing oh, someone I think of a band who's dead that I'm not going to get in trouble for slagging off um, <laughs> well no right so anyway you, yeah. you from our time at university you're yeah. kind of in the same area of music fandom as me I like our big fat guitars. I now book Daughtry, which is brilliant. Yes, and, and I completely forgot that you were a nickelbacker. Yeah, I love, I love, um, I love Daughtry, and I get to book them now, which is fucking incredible. So there's, there's like, you know, there's, there's definitely exceptions to the rule, but you know, in terms of a band like that, which I love, they are going to make shit loads of money. Whereas, can, like, but can you appreciate? You know, those bands that you might not necessarily go out and listen to, you know, when you're on the train yeah. yourself as a fan, yeah. you can appreciate the reason why they are where they are. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Why people will go out. That's more. That's more to it for me. Money. Like you know, it's like I I love Daughtry, who will make decent money. That's why you work with them. Whereas I love In Me, but In Me have been at the same level for years, and I would not take them on because you know, like I love them as a band, but financially, then then it's not a good move. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just, you just look at it from every angle, basically, and, you know, the, the bottom line and everything is money. Like, if you're making enough money every year, you can take on some stuff that you want to do for the hell of it, because you can. But if you take on everything because you love it and it, none of it makes money, then you're not helping anybody. You mentioned the team yes. around that, but if you are in the market for mm-hmm. a new act or if, yeah. or if you you're have, always in the market for a new act or if, or you, or if, if you something's good like enough I'll take a bunch it. of bands in a room kind of listening yeah. to you and you had to kind of say right this is the kind of thing that I would want you to have in place yeah. for you personally or this company to really take notice yeah what is it first and foremost is ticket sales for us because obviously we're live booking agents so anybody that's worth tickets already is is good and tickets are on the app that's right. the main thing not if you're just static at 250 tickets so you're effectively you are looking for a a band an artist an act who has who can sell their own tickets ideally yes yeah, yeah to a degree because then you know there's something happening but you know it, it, there's, there's so many reasons like you know be a great manager or you know label you work with just taking them on or 
you think there's a song that you've heard that's a hit or a lawyer's tipped you off saying they're going to get a deal or everybody's talking about it. Have you completely unsigned acts on your roster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But and, that's, and they're just there because on the basis of that they're just for me, sustaining themselves yeah. really well? For or? me, a record label is not not essential at the moment because okay. you know anybody can put music on Spotify. But you know, like you you would it's it's mainly because you would hope that uh, especially the, stuff, the the world that I work in some when you get to that level where you need a record label then you take them on but there's still you know there's there's bands like Luna Bay that don't have a record label but they're playing Scala in November and they're a brilliant band and they've got like millions of streams on Spotify and stuff and you know like it's only a matter of time until somebody picks them up um, so you, you know you you do have to take a few punts on stuff early, especially now we don't put in any investment. So you can afford to gamble early with a band. You can take it on and if it doesn't work, you've not really lost anything except the time you've put in. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between us and a record label. You're from Norfolk? Kings Lynn. There we go. Um, Norfolk's County, I'm from Kings Lynn. Born and bred. <laughs> What's the scene like? There isn't one. There isn't one? Is that why you... Well, there is a little bit. That's why you went to Hertfordshire? Yeah, I had to get out. Like well, that. it was because I grew up with the guys in Death of Anna. And, um, they were doing alright? Yeah, they're doing great. And um, they just played Kings Lynn recently, that's why I said there's a little bit of a scene there. There's a, there's a very tepid pulse, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few bands doing a few bits there, but... Um, you know, there was nothing really at the time when I was growing up and I wasn't good enough to be in the band, so I always kind of knew that I was... I, knew, I always knew that I wanted to be you in the business side of it. good enough to be in the music videos. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, but you didn't have to do anything. You just jump around and look not weird. <laughs> Which I did. But, yeah. but from... I, I guess the angle I'm looking at here is that from the out... There's a lot of the UK that is not London. Yeah. And the majority of bands do not come from London. Yeah, and so when you are from somewhere like a King's Inn and something like that, there are obviously talented, creative people coming from those places. Yeah, and whether I think it's from a business angle perspective, who wants to work with those bands, or whether it's from the perspective yeah. of the people who create the music that are in those bands. I feel like my take on it is that because I don't live in the London bubble, I I can see the world through the eyes of someone who's not from London, which you know I think most of the people here have a slight distorted view of the world like you know there's no Deliveroo there's no Uber there's no you know like so you're, you're the things that you do like even accessing music like smoke well it's, it, that's actually not true now but quite a lot of the people wouldn't use Spotify you know and the majority of their music listening in Norfolk would be on their drive from where they live in the middle of nowhere to Kings Lynn Town Centre to go to work mm-hmm. so they listen to the radio so whether that be Radio 1 Radio 2 Radio 6 whatever mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people here don't consider that a thing, right. um, and they think the world revolves around Spotify because nobody here listens to the radio; they just listen to Spotify and listen to whatever they want, mm-hmm. which is not true at all. That's why you know the the more commercial stuff that does get radio play does better at festivals and does better at selling tickets in those tertiary markets that don't have as much good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and there's less to do as well. You know, people people there. Um, you know, this this it's not like London where you've got the choice of doing everything you want. That you could literally go and do anything you wanted today. Whereas in somewhere like Kings Lynn, you have 
that stuff fed to you like there's only one place to go out and see entertainment there's only like a few nightclubs etc so they're more uh, open to being fed stuff like music so they don't want to curate a playlist they don't want to they don't want to listen to whatever they want to discover music they want to be fed it like you know they're, they're just receptive to everything so you've got you know you you really kind of you don't, you don't forget that that everything revolves around London and in terms of signing stuff a very small percentage of London is cool like there's a tiny little corner of East London whereas the rest of the country I know it firsthand and see it every day is so uncool that's why like you know the, the most uncool stuff in the world does really well outside of London and you've got to remember that like you have to remember that so people you know you get you get the people here that when you send something around that you've signed and they go why have you signed that for that looks really lame really uncool and I'm like yes that's what I'm trying to get trying to appeal to the masses here not just you know whatever flash in the pan thing that has been signed over there so you know I've got a a slightly different approach to the thing than everybody else I would say you've embraced mainstream I love mainstream I love it I think it's uh, the actual uh, the thing you should why would you not mm-hmm. appeal to the, the masses it's called pop for a reason because it's popular very true therefore I do pop you like me went to university in Hertfordshire to do a music industry management degree where you didn't learn anything about the live industry and ended up working yeah. in the live industry because yeah. why not you moved to London I did and then you went and did the silly thing and had a baby. Accidentally. Well, that's how we all, that's how all the good people have kids, accidentally. Yeah. Um, and then you moved back to Norfolk. Yeah. And you now... And I'm a full-time commuter. Work in London. Yeah. And live how many hours away? Two and a half door to door. And you do that every day? Except Friday. But it's great because in the morning you get on the train at quarter past seven and nobody else is awake and you clear your inbox you know you've got promoters in Asia that are awake you know and then in the evening you come home on the train and give, I've got another hour and 45 minutes on the train just to do solid work so I feel like in that sort of what is it 16 hours a week that I spend on a train which is brutal when you think about it well I guess the, the, the question I was going for is that work life balance thing is that actually to yeah. some and I've gone from Living and working in London, where I it was about an hour yeah. door to door, and that was within yeah, London. Yeah, so it's not it's not hugely different yeah. to now working in cities where I can cycle to work and it'll take me ten minutes yeah. from my house. But you can't do any emails on your bike. True, but I'm only on my bike for ten minutes. Yeah, but I mean, I think in terms of the way I look at it, it's like I am in the office, but I'm just travelling. So it's yeah. not. It's no different. But all. but you are, you you found a way to make those couple of hours on the train. Oh yeah. In the morning and in the evening. It's work. You watch a bit of TV. You, you sleep for a bit. You, you know you can do whatever you like. It's great. And you know. You, like I say, I, I do I do much more work now because I've cleared my inbox by the time I get into work, mm-hmm. and so I start fresh every day. Like. I do more work on the train than I do here because, you know, there's no meetings, there's no um, phone calls, you know, people aren't awake. People coming in to do podcast interviews. Exactly. You know, any little distraction. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I find it really helpful, actually. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, 
you know, it's, we start at 10, so it's fine. It's like, you know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. that bad. And it's, you know, it's great. I love it. And like Paradigm is so good with flexible working. So, I mean, I, I think I do more hours than I should anyway, even in a four day week, but mm-hmm. you know, I, work, so you, I work from home on a Friday. Work from home on a Friday. Yeah, yeah, so I look after my son on a Friday. Um, I, I just work on my laptop. It's, it's no problem. Like, you know, if I wasn't if I wasn't getting the job done, I'm sure they'd say something, but you know, they just work around everybody's life here. Like, you know, they, they realize that, you know, this, this there's more to life than this job, which well, is I was going to say, from the wonderful world of, of mental health in the workplace yeah. and things like that, where someone in your position with that amount of traveling takes its toll. Yeah. And that that work-life balance of, I mean, technically what you're on a train at half seven in the morning and yeah. you're not getting home until half seven, half seven yeah. eight o'clock. So that's yeah. a long old day. And then like tonight and I've got a gig, not- so I'll, I'm, I'm going to get the train at like half 10 and get home at half 12. Yeah. yeah, you just you just kind of deal with it, but um, but yeah, uh-huh. I, mean, I mean, for I'd say that paradigm is is really really good at that kind of that kind of side of it. We had a well being day yesterday, mm-hmm. where we just had like you know um, nutritional classes and sort of a well being seminar over there. We played rounders in the park, smoothies on. I mean, I mean also I mean, even if you were still in London you're in the live music scene so you're kind yeah. of you're, you need to go to see shows yeah, and definitely. they're not during the working day yeah and like most of the most of the summer I've spent you know probably one one maybe two or three days a month at a festival mm-hmm. like over the over the summer it's like you know that's all extra time that it's you know it's all good and well saying it's fun and you know, you're having a jolly and whatever, but you're still working. Like, I'm still talking to people, I'm still seeing everybody, I'm still doing my job. And it's like, you know, you, it's, you have to kind of separate yourself from that work at some point. And if, you know, especially in music, most of the people that work here is hobby, and going to festivals was my hobby for sure. And it was like, when you've rolled that into your job, it's very difficult to separate yourself from that world. And that's kind of why commuting and living outside London just helps me like split the two apart. Yeah, yeah. Good, so good, you're good on four days a week and you're out in the, out in the countryside. Yeah, still, still working on the, on a Friday, but you know, it's like so I, I can, yeah, I can, I can do my work from home. It's like it's, it's a it's a real email phone call job. So, yeah. um, but you know, there's it's like people in LA who will wake up at five p.m. here, and it's like mm-hmm. if you want to do a midday call with somebody, that's getting into the you know long into the evenings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so but it's alright. I wouldn't change it for anything. Great. Are you someone who you do have a cut off? No, do you, God, no. You, but you just can't. No, you, you can't. You can't say no. I am not available. No, because that was one of the things that I was in a lucky position to be able to do. Yeah, I always say if it is needed, you know, if the deal needs to be done that evening, then by all means. Yeah, but otherwise, no. six thirty. But you never know. Get like, a response. 9.30 no, just, just the nature of the job like if I've got a show somewhere and something happens mm-hmm. I've got to sort it out it's yeah. just how it is but you know you, you take the good with the bad like it's a really good job it's a really fun job like you know my, my friend's a postman and he says at Christmas he's like oh my god in December he's like I'm so fucking busy you've got no idea how busy I am and I'm like I do but you know it's, it's a different it's a different world like he, you know he gets a, he might be busy from 6 till midday but then he goes home and he's done. He doesn't have to think about his post anymore. Yeah. But you know, it's like you. you know, there's there's times you go to bed and you're just like thinking about stuff and you can't help it. Like you try and switch off, but 
you know, there's nothing you can do. But I mean, it's it's nice that the the company understands that and kind of oh, yeah, puts in safeguards and yeah, yeah, things sure. to kind of go. We know that you're on. Yeah, like you saw, you saw the sleep pods on the way in. Like, yeah. you know, if, if anybody needs to have a nap or go to bed if they're not feeling well or whatever, you just go for a sleep. Like, if you need a break for five minutes, you go and play pinball. Like, mm-hmm. we've got table football in the other room. It's like you just need to, you need these places to just have an escape and just uh, you know switch off for five minutes because you know sometimes that switching off period will be at work and you just have to just take five minutes and just mm-hmm. sort yourself out, go for a walk in the park, whatever you like. been here for eight years. I have. Do you reckon you'll ever do anything other than live booking and stuff like that? I don't. I don't think so. I think you can. In terms of being, I a mean, you've maker, dabbled in my artist management. Yeah, but that's a mugs game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's like fucking babysitting children. And I've got one now of my own that I don't need anymore. Now I say I'd never do that again. I think. I think I have maximum respect for anybody who's a manager because. When I say that I'm on call all the time, they are on call all the time for the stupidest fucking things. Like I've had people, I've had people I know that manage acts that have been on tour in LA and they're calling them at like two in the morning going, I can't get into my hotel room. And it's like, how is that my problem? Like you've got a fucking tour manager, just, you know, like, what's going on? Oh, yeah. I don't know where the tour manager is, I can't find him. I'm in London, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> come on. I definitely can't help Yeah, you. do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah, I have maximum respect for them, but I mean, I, I don't think, from, from, you know, when you're an agent, you can, you can have a career path that's got real longevity. Like, most of the agents, once you're an agent, you've, you, you, you're pretty set in what you're going to do. Like, you know, you just, you keep building the relationships and the experiences, and the longer you're in the game, the more respect you get if you're doing the right things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've only technically been an agent, although I've been working with Alex for five and a half years doing agent stuff, I've only technically been an agent since the start of January. So, you know, I'm very lucky to have, you know, I found Lewis Capaldi last year and it's just taken off. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pretty, um, pretty good start to my agent career I'd say so mm-hmm. you know you just got to build on that though and you, you also don't want to be known as the guy that just does Lewis Capaldi like you know I, w- I want to back that up with other things and yeah, you know, yeah. I've got, I just want to be you know a, an agent for, for a long time that people respect and I want to be the guy that you go to cool the guy what was the best festival this year in your opinion um, as a partner, as a fan. There was one called Festival 2 in Kings Lynn that was five minutes from my house, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so easy. Because um, there's lots of them. Yeah, there's days, lots of them. And they disappear and crop up all the time. Yeah, I mean... And that, someone who started off very much as a, you mentioned, you know, your hobby was going to music yeah. festivals and loving it, and now it's your job. Yeah. My view on everything has changed a little bit in mm-hmm. what I like in a festival, which is not necessarily what everybody else likes now but um, Latitude was incredible um, it's just you know just a really good lineup. the site's wicked like everyone's really friendly there's so much other stuff to do around the music it's just great really yeah. good no and I'm saying that from a point of view where there's no schmoozy guest bar where all the all the delegates hang out on whatever delegates guests VIPs whatever mm-hmm. you want to say there's no, there's no guest bar, so that's that's from the point of view of just enjoying the festival, which maybe is why I enjoyed it more because, you know, it's just really chilled out. 
Mm-hmm. Stuff for the stuff for the kids. Stuff for the kids. Fucking hell. Stuff, <laughs> stuff yeah, for the kids. You you become like oh Jesus, what a bastard. <laughs> there's a stuff. There's stuff for the kids. There's a kids area. There's you know the, you know there's just. Really more and more. Was it two thousand three? Yeah, year? like you know they've got on a, a pretty decent spread. For, there's the family area. Yeah, there's you know th- th- those are getting more popular now, and that you know booking a band like Clean Bandit as well. There's there's a lot more family festivals and one day events and you know things like that that. You know they're they're the perfect band for, and it's it seems to be more, much more popular now than you know the days when we used to go to Reading for three days and drink Carling and have them posh burger and chips or whatever the fuck that is. It's it's changed, and people expect a lot more from a festival these days, which is like Wilderness does well and Latitude does well and everything. It's you know because people you know how expensive it, it is these yeah. days, and it's like. You know, for a weekend for per person, it's five hundred quid at least. I would say with ticket and food and travel and buying a tent and all that shit, like maybe more. So yeah, you have to get you have to give the punters a lot more for their money these days. And if you haven't got the, the creme de la creme of acts, you have to offer a lot more because you know somebody could just hop on a plane and go on holiday for that for the week. Yeah. You know, not even just for the weekend, and you know they could stay in a hotel and an actual bed and stuff. Ah, yeah. wonders of an actual bed. Yeah. <laughs> As of October through to the end of the year, mm-hmm. who should we be looking out for who, that might not necessarily be on people's radars? Uh, there's an act I've just signed called Donna Missile. Mm-hmm. Donna, M-I-S-S-A-L. She is incredible. Uh, I saw her, um, she actually supported another one of my acts and I, I went down early to check her out and she literally blew my mind. It was incredible. She's like got a really raspy sort of Janis Joplin esque voice and just writes absolute bangers. But she she basically just blows you away live, and that's something I haven't seen for a long time. Um, so she will be on a couple of big tours, one in Europe at the end of this year, and then a big tour at the start of next year. Which I can't say what it is yet, but it's big. Cool. Um, and yeah, I think she's she's incredible. And for those people who may or may not be interested in getting into the wonderful world of live music, find a mate who's got an internship and just wing it. Is that pretty much? Is that what you would suggest? I mean, well, I guess the thing is, is what's what would be you? What would you advise? Say, what's kind of got you to where you are now, from an internship through to being here for the past eight years? I think when you when you get that opportunity, you just have to make the most of it, and you have to. You have to make yourself undeniably good, like because there's so many people who want to get into this industry and want to work in music and stuff. And like, you know, this is why it's you know when you start out, it's a low paid job because if you don't want to do it, someone else will just come in and do it because mm-hmm. you know it's so sought after. But if you if you make yourself undeniably good and you go above and beyond what you're expected to do every time, no matter what job it is. You know, I was, I was just always doing anything extra I got asked or anything extra I could do, I just did it because I knew that it was going to help in the long run. And, you know, I think that's, that's, the, that's the most important thing you can do, really. It's just, and, and also, it's your reputation as well. If you get a reputation for being, you know, somebody that will go the extra mile for people and always be, always be nice to everybody and always be friendly to everybody. Like, you know, every person that starts at this company now, I make a point to talk to them. Like, I make a point to know everybody's name. And like, mm-hmm. You know, I spend a couple of minutes a day or whatever just talking to as many people as I can just to you know you never know what someone's going to say or what they're going to do or yeah. you know what information they're going to give you and you know if I'm at a festival that's probably why 
my view on it and enjoyment of it has changed because you know in in a certain way it's like you just have to do the rounds and say hello to everybody and make sure everybody's seen you're there and it's all it's all a it's all a network game and um, you know the more you build your network the the better you the better you'll do I I think it's it's definitely I know it's just such a cliche but it's definitely who you know it's 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 definitely getting more of what you know but if you if you have what you know and who you know you're you're pretty fine. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Massive thanks there to Ryan for welcoming me into the swanky offices in Old Street. It's great to catch up. If you're interested in learning a bit more about Paradigm, follow them on Instagram at Paradigm Talent Agency or go to their website to have a look at their roster and various things that they're doing worldwide at ParadigmAgency.com. You also get moved through to Paradigm Agency's website if you type in CoderAgency.com as well just in case. Uh, If you're interested in following Ryan himself, you can find him on Twitter, at Ryan Penty. But as always, do get in touch with me at the show here, behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com or via Instagram at behindthebusinesspod or via Twitter at Danny Champion to give me feedback to ask questions of me or of any of the guests. Thank you very much for coming back. Please do subscribe and follow via any of the podcast apps that you may use and please do rate and review where you get the opportunities to. A five-star review on Apple is very, very appreciated and it helps with the visibility. If you think that this podcast will be interesting to anyone that you know, please do let them know. Word of mouth is key to all this sort of stuff. And keep an eye on Facebook and YouTube uh, between now and the end of the year as I will be playing around with those two channels as well. And until next time, thanks very much for listening.